Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, beautiful souls. This is Dr. Nancy Ellen Miller coming at you. It is November the 7th. No, excuse me, the 2nd. Doesn't a 2 look like a 7? I mean, it's really strange. My brain was like, say 2, and then my mouth just wanted to say 7. <laughs> This is the second day of the seven days to listen. A seven-day listening party exclusive to anyone who signs up to my uh, email list, who has signed up to my email list. Of course, um, I'm going to be sharing these listening exercises more widely, but you as a subscriber will get the first taste of the listening party. <laughs> so here we are, another day. Yesterday was All Souls Day, and today is the Day of the Dead, Dia de los Muertos, and excuse me for my horrible Spanish accent. I uh, love this time of the year, and I don't know if you share my oh, passion for all things scary and transitioning transitionary but halloween as you may know is the pagan celebration based on the pagan celebration of the midpoint between the autumn equinox and the winter solstice so the midpoint in many, many traditions, pagan traditions, everywhere from Ke the Celts um, to the Latin America to Mexico um, have this tradition, and that is where our Halloween comes from. Um, you can look up the Celtic tradition. It's spelled S-A-M-H-A-I-N, Day of the Dead or Dia de, lo de los Muertos. And if you have a particular tradition uh, in your culture around this time, whether it's dressing up as a ghost or a witch or a clown, or it's just sitting in contemplation, considering the switch of the seasons in the Northern Hemisphere from the summer, autumn, autumn to winter, in Toronto, Canada, it is a beautiful day. It's a bit hazy. There are lovely clouds in the sky. The air is crisp. And I'm excited for the change of seasons, the shifting towards the colder weather. My mother, uh, who sadly, her life ended in 1988 when I was 12, she just loved the winter solstice and... I actually did, wrote a whole chapter of poetry and did a series of performances based on the winter solstice. It's part of a book that I've written, and uh, it's um, more than a book. It's, it was also a series of exhibitions, it, a series of films, a, f a series of happenings, uh, mostly centered in, in Europe. In, in, at the time, uh, England was part of Europe in Ireland, where I, I lived and was an artist in residence at the uh, Byrne College of Art, a place that is very special to me, 
uh, because my ancestors are from that part of the world, County Clare, Ireland. And I want to tell you a story before I uh, step into another reading um, and follow through with our listening party based on the letters of the word, the verb, listen. And I'm going to tell you a little story about how I first came to meet my ancestors in County Clare, Ireland. I was on my way through Ireland, hiking and at times taking the bus. The bus is a wonderful way to get through Ireland. It stops at all of the sites along the wild west coast. And I had this feeling like I had to turn around and go back to Doolin. I'm not sure why. Doolin, I had read, was a beautiful part of Ireland with music. A big tourist stop on the wild west coast. Music, a gateway to the Aran Islands. And I turned around and I took, got off the bus and I had my camera and I was walking. And for those of you who have been to Ireland, you will know that Ireland is a place where the horses run free. In Ireland, the horses are a big part of the culture. Those of you who know a little bit about Irish history know that Ireland wasn't industrialized at the pace that many Western countries were. And so it has maintained this traditional agricultural culture. The land is so green and well-preserved. And I'd like to almost whisper this because I want it to be a secret. I never want the Irish West Coast to be industrialized, taken over by condominiums and high-rises. Bless that land, it is sacred. So I was getting off the bus, stepping off the bus, and walking towards, uh, well, these horses. And there were four of them, and they were in the field, and they were doing their own thing. And I had a camera that I had purchased for my journey through Ireland. <laughs> Uh, a camera in which I used to record my walking through Ireland. And I saw these horses, and the horses were so beautiful, so magnificent, so regal. To those of you who may know uh, Gulliver's Travels, you will know that the Hoynemans are the gods and goddesses of this strange world upon which Gull Gulliver falls. And I felt the same thing, that these horses were so magnificent that they knew something that I just had no access to. And so I took out my camera and I was walking towards them and they lined up in a row, symmetrically. And I took a picture, and it's probably the most beautiful picture that I have 
ever taken, I think, in my opinion, because it has such a powerful resonance of this moment in time. And I posted it to Facebook where my cousin Patrick has been many times and, and he saw he saw the photo that I had posted and he said, you're right beside your ancestors. <laughs> the land of your ancestors. I, I, tr- I can't give you the exact quote because I closed down that Facebook account a while ago. However, um, yes, I think he ha- was onto something. Uh, maybe these were my ancestors lining up for me. And maybe the, the land of, of Patrick's and Una's and my cousins, the O'Leary's, and their cousins and grandfathers and mothers and aunts and uncles and their uncles and aunts and uncles and right down to the earth before any of us were born. Uh, the Burin is an incredible rock and the Burin is, is, is called Anne Borean. Again, my Irish needs help, but uh, <clears throat> it means great rock. Great rock. And it's magnificent. When if you go there, you'll see this rock, and and um, it's almost like dru- the, the druids lived there, or do still do. <laughs> you may know the cliffs of Moore. It's a magnificent cliffs that drop to the sea, and the Aran Islands, which is magical, also a very hard place to live. Um, winters in Ireland are very cold. But back to my ancestors in the rock. So the second chapter of this book that I'm hoping to share with some of you at the listening workshop, Radical Listening, this coming, what is it, soon, November the 4th, Saturday, 10 a.m. Eastern. Those who attend will receive a fragment of that book. Um, part of that book involved walking walking across the Burren and Borean and walking slowly, walking uh, in the Zen tradition of kinhin or mindfulness, uh, Buddhist mindfulness, contemplative walking between sitting practices. So I did that. And I also walked in the, in the tradition of Wordsworth, who um, legend says sang when he walked and stopped and wrote notes. So I did that too. But my first encounter with that rock was getting off that bus and greeting my uh, friends, the horses, my ancestors, who so beautifully lined up. And I hope to share that photograph with you. Um, I'm recording this now, and then I'll put it up in, my, in an, uh, an email, a newsletter to send, and I'll hope to send that photograph to you. So you can see my horses, my friends, my ancestors. <laughs> Right, so going back here to seven days to listen. And I feel this is an apt time to read a Seamus Heine uh, poem. Um, 
So he is a celebrated Irish poet, one of the most well-known Irish poets. Uh, died not too long ago, and actually um, the picture in the the advertising, um, uh, how shall you call it, the um, on the beautiful in the beautiful souls community, I sent a few pictures for Joel to choose, and he chose uh, a painting that I had done of a poem by the lovely Seamus. Right, so I'm going to read that poem that I painted, and I believe I painted that right after Seamus Haney's uh, death. And it's from uh, a, a, a selection of poems under the title Squarings. Uh, the first of those poems is Lightning, and the second of those poems is Settings. But before I read this, I'm going to just jump into that exercise that we did last time, uh, listening to the sounds of letters and words and developing some appreciation for the sounds and letters uh, and the the whole soundscape of words and, and the ways that they can... Poetry really, I think, is a way to introduce us to a way of understanding and hearing language in a way that's new. And so that we can, with fresh eyes, fresh ears, fresh, a fresh heart, approach the world with this beginner's mind of wonder and appreciation and gratitude for life. Um, so, listen, yesterday we looked at L, the letter L and what it brought up for you. And I was so happy to receive um, a personal experience from uh, one of my subscribers, my friend um, from the Beautiful Souls community, who shared that, uh, that the word that she heard was longing. And... Um, it's funny because I was also feeling that longing this morning in the, in, not in the um, English meaning, but the Portuguese meaning, saudade. So, um, in any respect, we have another letter today, and that's I. I, the letter I. Now, what comes to mind when you hear that letter I? You might be talking or listening on an iPhone. You might think of individuality. You might think of not the letter I, but the eye, your eye, your organ, the organ of the eye, or the shape of an eye. Hmm? If you're if you're a film buff like I am, you might appreciate the way the National Film Board of Canada plays with the image of the eye in its um, I believe its logo its logo. If I'm getting that right, if my memory is correct. And what other I when you hear that word I my instinct, my intuition brings me to the word insight, insight. 
or inspiration, which is another word for the breath, to inspire, to insert, to interpret. So with that appreciation and just settling into the sound, I, I, <laughs> open up your listening mind, your listening heart, and let's read, let's listen to, well, I'll read and you can listen to, of course, you can read along if you have, happen to have Seamus Haney's book, Seeing Things, this would be the Faber and Faber edition um, page 67 is, is where we begin settings. And this is going to be a longer read than yesterday. I'm going to read, let's see, the entire settings. Just before I read this, I want you to let go of any, any grasping of the meaning of the words, the meaning of the poem. Um, I taught literature for a long time and there was always an insistence in the exams what does this mean in interpreting and whatnot and why I don't like that approach to learning and to poetry in particular is you you need to have an, an individual dance with the poem and you may not always get it at first but let it be your own if you mishear words if you don't understand just let it, let that be because there's no exam at the end here. Ready? And I'll read slowly so um, each word sinks in. And I won't give you an introduction to Seamus Heine. You can look him up online. You can pause this now and read about his poem Squarings if you prefer. Or uh, you can listen to this poem read and then Go and search Google, um, many articles in The Guardian uh, by people giving tribute to Seamus Haney after his death. But let's just dance with the word, shall we? Dance with the sound, listen. All right, let's start. Settings. Hazel stealth. A trickle in the culvert. Athletic sea light. On the doorstep slab. On the sea itself. On silent roofs and gables. White washed sun traps. Hedges hot as chimneys. Chairs on all fours. A plate rack braced and laden. The fossil poetry of hob and slate. Desire within its moat, dozing at ease, like a gorged cormorant on the rock at noon, exiled and in tune with the big glitter. Re-enter this as the adult of solitude, the silence forder and the definite presence you sensed withdrawing first time round.
One afternoon, I was a seraph on a gold leaf. I stood on the railway, sleepers hearing larks, grasshoppers, cuckoos, dog barks, trainer planes, cutting and modulating and drawing off. Heat wavered on the immaculate line and shine of the cogged rails on either side. Dog daisies stood like vestals. The hot stones were clover-meshed and streaked with engine oil. Air spanned, passage weighted, the balance rode, nothing prevailed. Whatever was in store witnessed itself, already taking place in a time marked by ascent and by hiatus. And strike this scene in gold too, in relief, so that a greedy eye cannot exhaust it. Stable straw, Rembrandt gleam and burnish, where my father bends to a tea chest packed with salt, the hurricane lamp held at eye level. In his bunched left fist, his right hand foraging for the unbleeding, vivid, fleshed bacon, home cured hawks pulled up into the light for pondering a while and putting back. That night I owned the piled grain of Egypt. I watched the sentry's torchlight on the hoard. I stood in the door, unseen and blazed upon. Rat poison, the color of blood pudding, went phosphorescent when it was being spread. Its sparky, rancid shine under the blade brought everything to life, like news of murder or the sight of a parked car occupied by lovers on a side road or stories of bull victims. If a muse had sung the anger of Achilles, it would not have heightened the world danger more. It was all there in the fresh rat poison, corpuscent on moldy, dried up crusts. On winter evenings, I loved its reek and risk. And windfalls freezing on the outhouse roof. What were the virtues of an eel skin? What was the eel itself? A rib of water drawn out of the water? An L yielded up from glooms and whorls and slatings. Rediscovered once it had been skinned when a wrist was bound with eel skin. Energy redounded in that arm, a water wheel turned in the shoulder, mill races poured and made your elbow giddy. Your hand felt unconstrained, unspirited, 
as heads and tails that wriggled in the mud, Aristotle supposed all eels were sprung from. Like a foul-mouthed god of hemp come down to rut, the rope man stumped about and praised new rope, with talk of how thick it was or how long and strong and how you could take it in your hand, your own hand, and feel it. His perfect, tight, bound wares made a circle round him, the makings of reins and belly bands and halters and of slippage, for even then, knee-high among the farmers, I knew the rope man menaced with them, freedoms with freedoms, and they were going to turn their backs on, and knew to his powerlessness once the fair hill emptied, and he had to break the circle and start loading. Memory as a building or a city, well lighted, well laid out, appointed with tableau vivant and costume effigies, statues in purple cloaks or painted red, ones wearing crowns, ones smeared with mud or blood, so that the mind's eye could haunt itself with fixed associations and learn to read its own contents in meaningful order. Ancient textbooks recommended that familiar places be linked deliberately with a code of images. You knew the portent in each setting. You blinked and concentrated. On red square, the brick of wall, brick wall of the Kremlin looked unthreatening in scale, just right for people to behave well under, inside or outside. The big cleared space in front was dizzying. I looked across a heave and sweep of cobbles, like the ones that beamed up in my dream of flying. Above the old cart road with all the air fanning off beneath my neck and breastbone, the cloud roamer, was it Stalin called Pasternak? Terrible history and protected joys Plosive horse dung on 1940s roads, the newsreel bomb hits as harmless as dust puffs. Once and only once I fired a gun. At a square handkerchief pinned on a tree about 60 yards away, it exhilarated me. The bullet's song so effortlessly at my fingertip. The target's single shocking little jerk, a whole new quickened sense of what rifle meant. And then again, as it was in the beginning, I saw the soul like a white cloth snatched away across dark galaxies and felt that shot for the sin it was against eternal life. Another phrase, dilating in new light. Where does spirit live? Inside or outside? Things remembered, made things, things unmade? 
What came first, the seabird's cry or the soul, imagined in the dawn cold when it cried? Where does it roost at last? On dungy sticks and jackdaws nest up an old stone tower, or a marble bust commanding the parterre. How habitable is perfected form? And how inhabited the windy light? What's the use of a held note or a held line that cannot be assailed for reassurance? Set questions for the ghost of W.B. On the bus trip into Saga country, Ivan Melovansky wrote a poem about the nuclear submarines offshore. From an abandoned whaling station, I remember it as a frisson, but I cannot remember any words. What I wanted then was a poem of utter evening. The 13th century, weird midnight sun, setting at eye level with snorty snorstledum, who has come out to bathe in a hot spring and sit through the stillness after milking time, laughed and ensconced in the throne room of his mind. Deserted harbor stillness, every stone clarified and dormant underwater, the harbor wall, a masonry of silence, fullness, shimmer, laden high, Atlantic, the moorings barely stirred in, very slight, clucking off the swell against boat boards. Perfected vision, cockle minarets, consigned down there with green slicked bottle glass, shell debris in a reddened bud of sandstone, air and ocean known as antecedents of each other, in opposition with omnipresence, equilibrium, brim thank you for listening if you've come this far again no pressure to understand it all if you're curious google Seamus Haney and his poem squaring that was settings in the meantime I know we've been a quite serious in this session long poem um tomorrow we're going to listen in a new way something a little bit more fun active thank you for letting me indulge in poetry for the second listening party of seven days to listen and um i encourage you to just Again, appreciate words, appreciate their sounds. Let go of having to know the meaning of everything, of a poem, of an encounter, of your life, of a moment. Uh, Loosen. Let go of fixed impressions. And approach each moment with your beginner's mind. And that's, I think, the lesson, if I have one for today, and how to listen with insight, with the letter I, 
And if you'd like to learn more about how to get in touch with your insight, your individual I, as a coach, I encourage people to really uh, let go of all the shoulds, all the woulds, all the have-tos, and tune into that place where they really feel a sense of their soul, their their sight, their inner sight, their inner wisdom, and to ground yourself so completely in that inner wisdom that you you can you can lead the way. Get in touch with me. You can book a flash of insight call um, on my website. It's free for the first 15 minutes. After that, an hour call is 180. But um, I would love to connect with more of you on a one-to-one basis uh, to support your developing insight. All right. Can't wait to party with you tomorrow in the spirit of listening. That's all for now. Dr. Nancy Eller Miller signing off.